Hello and welcome back to the Come Follow Me Bible Challenge where we are reading through the Old Testament this year. Next year it'll be the New Testament, but this year the Old Testament and we are going through the book of Psalms. This is week two of three where we're looking at the book of Psalms in accordance with the schedule provided by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And for the week of August 15th through the 21st, students are pointed to... uh, there's the schedule where it says to read Psalms 49 through 51, 61 to 66, 69 to 72, 77, 78, and 85 and 86. <laughs> well, again, um, like I mentioned last week, I'm just going to pick two each of these weeks that I want to look at, and uh, we're going we're to think about those. And this week, uh, looking at just Psalms 50 and 51 and considering what we can learn about the nature of and character of God. And there's a lot to see. There's always a lot to see. And so Psalm 50 is where we're going to start today. And this is a Psalm of Asaph. I mentioned his name last week. He comes up a few times in the Psalms. And here he is, the author of Psalm 50. And the title is God, the judge of the righteous and the wicked. So let's uh, just read the first six verses and consider what we learn about the nature and character of God. It says, the mighty one, God, the Lord. I, I love how that starts. Three names for God right from the beginning. The mighty one, God, the Lord has spoken and summoned the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God has shown forth. May our God come and not keep silence. Fire devours before him, and it is very tempestuous around him. He summons the heavens above and the earth to judge his people. Gather my godly ones to me, those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. And the heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge." Well, uh, very clearly, a theme here in the first few verses is that God is judge. That's what the very last phrase says, for God himself is judge. And of course, he's the only righteous judge. There is no one on the face of the earth who is a righteous judge but God alone. And he is the one who uh, the heavens declare. (laughs) He, he is the one, when you look to the heavens and you see the perfection of uh, beauty in the universe, even in this fallen universe, they are, the, the heavens are declaring his righteousness. And that is uh, just an amazing thing. He's the only one who created the universe. And that's why the universe declares his righteousness alone. And when he speaks, we are all to listen. That's why the psalm starts off with, He has spoken. He has summoned the earth. And so we all should pay attention. And the first group that he talks to is Israel. We'll just look at a few verses here. God says, Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. I do not reprove you for your sacrifices and your burnt offerings are continually before me. I shall take no young bull out of your house, nor male goats out of your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. Here we see that God owns everything, right? Not only is he judge, he is the owner of all. 
And he goes on to say how he doesn't need to eat like they need to eat. He doesn't need anything because he's the owner of all things. And he encourages them in verse 15, call upon me in the day of trouble and I shall rescue you and you will honor me. So that's what he's saying to his people, Israel, as they come to him with their sacrifices, with thanksgiving, and submit themselves to him. So this righteous judge who needs nothing, he's the owner of all things, he is the one that the heavens declare, he says, come to me, come to me. And what's the promise? He's going to rescue us. If we call upon him on the day of trouble, he will rescue us, and we are to honor him. Well, the the righteous Israelites are not the only ones that God speaks to. He also speaks to the wicked of the world. He uh, now turns his attention to them, and I want you to really see what, what he has to say. To the wicked, God says, What right have you to tell of my statutes and to take my covenant in your mouth? For you hate discipline, and you cast my words behind you. When you see a thief, you are pleased with him, and you associate with adulterers. You let your mouth loose in evil, and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done, and I kept silence. You thought that I was just like you. I will reprove you and state the case in order before your eyes. Wow. He calls out the wicked by saying, I have seen your evil deeds. And I think verse 21 is just absolutely fascinating. Very important. These things you have done and I have kept silence. Meaning God didn't interject. He didn't intervene. He didn't speak to them in the midst of their sin and call them out at that time. He was keeping silent. And uh, this is, of course, a problem a lot of people have with God. People say, well, why doesn't God stop evil in the world? You know, here, here are people that are pleased with thievery and associating with adulterers and all of that. Why doesn't God stop all the evil? Well, God has his own purposes for all of that. And here he says, look, just because I'm not intervening, that doesn't mean I'm unaware. He has seen it all, and he says, and I have kept silent. He's letting their sins build up, isn't he? And check out this phrase, again, verse 21. You thought that I was just like you. And it goes on to say, now I will reprove you and state the case in order before your eyes. You thought I was just like you. Do you think God is just like you? (laughs) We should never, ever, ever have that thought because in our heart of hearts, deep down, we know we are wicked, aren't we? It talks about slandering other people. To the wicked, I have seen you slander. Are you free from slander in your life and gossip? If you were to go through the Ten Commandments, would you see that you're absolutely righteous or would you see that you're sinful? Have you looked at someone to lust after him or her? That's adultery committed in your heart. Do you hate other people? That's murder committed in your heart. Have you ever told a lie? Told, tolen, that's funny. Have you ever told a lie? Well, you're a liar. Have you ever wanted something that someone else has? That's coveting. That's one of the Ten Commandments. You are not to covet what your neighbor has. 
Have you failed to honor your mother and your father? You see, as we go through God's law here, God's standard of holiness given to Israel, we see that we don't measure up, do we? We actually are quite wicked. And a lot of times we like to project our own thoughts onto God as though God thinks the way we do. So we might think, well, you know, nobody's perfect and and God knows that. You know, someone maybe in your own house, like a child, sins, and you say, ah, well, everyone make mistake, makes mistakes. It's okay. It's just an oopsie. No big deal. Whereas God looks at sin, and he takes it extremely seriously. God looks at sin and says, I can't put up with that for even a moment. God has to address sin, confront sin, and punish sin. We should never make the grave error of thinking that God is just like us. He cannot put up with sin. His holiness demands that sin be punished. And you can see that at the end of Psalm 50. Now consider this, you who forget God, or I will tear you in pieces, and there will be none to deliver. He who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving honors me, and to him who orders his way aright, I shall show the salvation of God. God demands that sin be paid for. God demands that holiness come forth. And to the wicked, who says, no big deal, well, they will be judged. Interestingly, the very next psalm, you have this confrontation between God's holiness and sin in a very specific situation, which is David, after committing sin with Bathsheba, not just committing adultery, but then murdering her husband, He's crying out to the Lord and asking for forgiveness because he knows that God has to confront sin in his holiness. Check this out. The title is A Contrite Sinner's Prayer for Pardon. It's a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. I just want to read this psalm for us, and then I'll conclude with a few thoughts. Is that all right? I hear you saying yes, so we shall do this. Psalm 51, verses 1 through 19. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and sustain me with a willing spirit. 
Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will be converted to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, that my mouth may declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. By your favor do good to Zion, build the walls of Jerusalem, then you will delight in righteous sacrifices, in burnt offering and whole burnt offering, then young bulls will be offered on your altar. Wow, what a what an earnest and sincere prayer. David knew he needed to be forgiven for his ugly, devastating sin. He knew that he needed to be made right with God and that he couldn't do it himself. I think one of the most striking qualities that we find in Psalm 51 is just how often we see David pleading for God to take action for David's sin. You see, so often we think, I am wicked. I have sinned. I've done all these things that are wrong. What should I do to make this right? Well, that's not David's thinking at all. Let's, uh, let's look at this again. You'll notice here in verse 7, David calls to God to purify him. He says, purify me. And then again, verse 7, wash me. Okay. Again, verse 8, Make me to hear joy and gladness. Blot out all my iniquities. This is what God is doing. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Again, verse 12, sustain me with a willing spirit. Verse 14, deliver me from blood guiltness. He's calling on God to do all these actions because he knows that he can't fix himself. Now, in Psalm 50, we learn that God does not despise the burnt offerings of the righteous. And that's what David ends with at the end of the psalm, saying, look, build the walls of Jerusalem. Let, please fix me. After you do all of these things and you fix me, let's go back and let's offer sacrifices to the Lord in praise once our relationship is restored. But did you catch that David did include this phrase uh, when he's talking about what pleases God? He says, you do not delight in sacrifice. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So are sacrifices and offerings good? Well, yeah, God commanded them in the Old Testament. So if you were an Israelite, if you were in David's position, were those things good? Yes. But what has to take place? Reconciliation. If David were to go about trying to fix all of his sins through all of these righteous works, thinking that God would be impressed with his offering, that God would be impressed with his sacrifice, he was wrong. When a sacrifice or an offering is not coupled with faith and repentance, which is a broken spirit, a contrite heart, 
that offering is worthless. That doesn't please God at all. That sacrifice does nothing for your relationship with God. But when you come to God broken, looking to Him as your righteousness, looking to Him for forgiveness, looking to Him to make you right, knowing that there's nothing you can do to make yourself right, then God is pleased, and then you can worship Him in truth. You can worship Him in spirit and in truth. So that's an amazing psalm. Uh, so many people look at, at David's life and say, well, he was an adulterer, he was, an, he was a murderer. How could God ever forgive somebody like that? How could God ever forgive somebody like you? You've committed adultery in your heart, I'm sure. You've murdered in your heart, I'm sure. How could God rightly forgive you? Well, if you come to him in faith in what he will do, creating a clean heart in you, making you to hear joy and gladness, restoring you, renewing you, purifying you. If you come to God that way, he is faithful to do it, even if you are the worst of sinners. You see, God is not like us. <laughs> Going back to Psalm 50. You might, if, if you're over there saying, how could God forgive David? You might be someone who would never forgive somebody of a deep transgression. You would say, ah, I could never forgive you for that. And then your heart would just grow bitter. Well, God isn't like that. And we praise him because he's not like that. He forgives the vilest sinner. He forgives in an instant the one who has done the most wrong when that person comes to him in faith. When that person says, I hate my sin and I love you. Please forgive me. You see, re repentance is really that, that basic and that simple. It's a change of mind about your sin, and that always leads to a change of action because of what God does with that. But when you come to God in faith and repentance, it isn't cleaning up your act and saying, I'm going to make myself godly so that God will love me. That's not it. It's coming to God in your ungodliness and saying, I hate this and I love you. Change me. Cleanse me. Only you can do that. And when you come to God in that way, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin. He will cleanse you from all unrighteousness, and he will lead you into a life walking with him and serving him all of your days. It's, it's the cornerstone of Christianity. That's the gospel. As we come to him in faith, and we are forgiven based on what he has done, and we're made righteous on his merits, not our own. And David is a perfect example of that, isn't he? Well, I hope this was helpful. Just two psalms we looked at, and next week we'll look at two more. And then we'll be off to, I believe, let's see. Oh, we have a week of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, and then we go to Isaiah. No Song of Solomon. No Song of Solomon on this schedule, so we're skip, we'll skip that one. But we will hit Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. That'll be fun. Next week, Psalms. After that, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Thanks again for joining me. God bless.